0: G'day, Connell. Hello, listeners. Hey, Hugh. Welcome back, listeners.
1: And welcome, Producer Gil. Hugh, why are we here? We're here to inspire and educate the business owner. How are we doing that today, Connell?
0: Today, we're talking about an influential leader listeners may never have heard of before. And we're going to share some leadership plays that they can adapt to their own business. After that, we're going to give, in your own words, Hugh, the best closing the loop ever. <laughs>
1: and I think we lived up to that. Uh, let's roll on to the show.
0: Time for the rapid-fire review. Is that where you talk about your inexperience with an old man? <laughs>
2: The Rapid Fire Review. Connell and Hugh take 30 seconds each to reflect.
0: All right, Hugh, we're doing something a bit different this week. We're only focusing on your learning. So what have you got for us? Had a moment, Connell. What was the moment?
1: Well, I struggle with gratitude. I've been trying to practice gratitude, mainly because I'm just interested in trying new things and and I don't know why I struggle with gratitude, whether it's just I've got high expectations or life's just busy, family, new business, three kids... I don't know, but I had the moment. So out running and past this old guy, I reckon he's about 90. He's on a motorized scooter. He's got a Kelpie dog and a cowboy hat. So probably an old country fella. I think he might've had a stroke because he always acknowledges me, but never speaks. And you see him at the same different parts. And then one morning I was just running past him and I just had this moment where I was like, I wonder if he wishes he was me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know his life. And it just was a, a moment of, unabashed gratitude where I was really thankful to be who I was and where I was and, and all the opportunity and, and everything in front of me. So it was just my moment is my yeah. review.
0: This hearkens back as well to something you've said in an earlier episode in that you enjoy the climb so much, you never celebrate that win and it's somewhat relevant or evident there And that gratitude isn't a skill that's naturally occurring to you because you're more a climber. You're not the summit, you're the climber. So why was that important? What do you think gratitude would introduce into your life?
1: I don't exactly know. I think it's just that maybe that abundance mentality that just being really thankful for what you've got rather than thinking about what you don't have. And that's not the way that I think. And for me, it was like trying a new technique and practicing and feeling that technique was a bit forced. So usually in the morning, I'd be thinking what I'm thankful for, appreciating the beauty of a sunrise, just these simple things. But then it was just that moment where it was like, it was just genuine. Yes. So so that
0: was probably the thing and, and it just made me feel really thankful. So it gave you a new perspective. And when you approach things by valuing what is present and not thinking about what lacks, you're just generally happier. I think you have a better outlook on life. Yeah. You just feel very fulfilled. And that was the moment. I'm glad an old man could fulfill you. <laughs> Let's get into the show. <laughs>
2: you're listening to Two Paths, One Journey with Hugh Reardon and Connell Faulkner.
0: Today we're talking about leadership, but what sort of leadership are we going to be talking about? I mean, you have your classic, the micromanager or the leader with a thousand helpers. Is that what we're discussing?
1: Uh, well, that was my experience back in the day when just starting out as, as a leader on a leadership journey that I was the person with all the micromanager, just do this, pick up that, and my phone always ringing, but no, that's not the leadership we're talking about
0: today. <laughs> so it may be where our listeners are at and we might be able to help them get further on their journey from there. Is it the visionary leader then? The one that captures everything that we've discussed in the podcast so far. They set the B-HAG, they have their values, they have their purpose. The communicator, is that the one?
1: Good point. That's basically what the show's talked about, how to be a better leader and set your strategy and your purpose. And even nicely done there around the communication, because that was a big learning for me as a leader. Like, it took me a while to understand that you had to communicate multiple, multiple times before you, you actually got heard. So- Again, another point, but that's not the type of leadership we're talking about today.
0: What type of leadership are we talking about?
1: We're actually going to tell a story through a leader, probably one of the most influential leaders of our time that nobody's ever heard about.
0: If nobody's ever heard about him, why should we care? Who is he? (laughs) Well, exactly. So the, the
1: guy called Bill Campbell. So who's Bill Campbell? This is a quick summary of Bill Campbell. He was a college student athlete. He graduated... Columbia University, and he went straight into the football college coaching system. He ended up as a, in the system for about 13 years before he ended up as a head coach back at Columbia. He did four losing seasons, and he left. Took a marketing job, and then from the marketing job, he had a career succession, and he ended up one of the most influential coaches in the world. He used to coach Sergey Brin, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs. So we've got this guy that nobody knows about that went from football coach to the head of the world.
0: That's a pretty massive leap. How does a fairly unsuccessful college football coach go from that, losing four seasons, to now being a mentor for some of the biggest names in tech?
1: Well, he had a leadership journey, I suppose. And through that journey, he developed some plays that we're going to talk about, some lessons that he used to teach. And so he went from football coach to marketing guy. And as a marketing guy, he ended up at Apple. And then in Apple, he ended up running some startups in Silicon Valley, like a startup called Go, which I'd never heard about. Uh, He was CEO of Intuit. He ended up back at Apple on the board and then ended up coaching Google. So he had a massive amount of influence throughout that particular part of the Valley and obviously on all of our lives. And and it's really
0: interesting. We haven't heard of him. Let's pick into that a little bit. I mean, that influence, because it's easy to say that he's had influence when he's been exposed, but what influence did he really have? Well, actually,
1: I'll give you an example of the power that he had. So he was coaching the Google execs, uh, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, and he was also coaching Steve Jobs simultaneously. And Jobs thought it was a bit of a conflict. So he put it to Bill Campbell and said, you've got to pick. And Campbell said, no. He said, I'm not an employee. I'm very professional. So I'm going to continue to coach both. And Jobs accepted that. So you've got one of the most powerful leaders in the world and Steve Jobs saying, it's either us or Google, and him saying no, (laughs) and then Jobs having to back down from that. So obviously very, very influential.
0: Okay. He sounds like a pretty driven guy. He obviously has a lot of grit to get himself into that position. Why didn't he make it as a football coach?
1: Well, I don't exactly know, but I think why he succeeded in the business world was he was win-win and potentially in the coaching world, it's a zero-sum game, so it's win-lose. But he was about the team and about the people and and developing the people over the long term. And and I don't think that translated as well to the football field. You know, he was a guy ahead of his time. And throughout our episode, because he was a coach, we're going to refer to some of his lessons as plays.
0: (laughs) Okay. Talking to the point, he's ahead of his time. We've got someone else who's a bit ahead of his time coming up. Let's see what Bads has to say about leadership.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about Bads and introduce him to the show. Do you know what Bads has been doing this week?
0: No, I don't. What's he been up to?
1: I actually heard that he made school lunches and cleaned the toilets and bathrooms in his house for the entire year. Risking
0: those hands doing that? Silly. Let's go see what Bads has got to say.
2: Ryan steps onto Bads' box with his unfiltered opinion. Quick wit and sharp insight.
3: Welcome back to the show, Ryan. How you been? Yeah, great. Thanks, mate. Just back from another photo shoot with Cartier and a couple of their new rings. So, yeah, <laughs> happy to be here and sharing a bit of time for the show. You're living the life, my friend.
0: <laughs> well, today we're talking leadership. You've got a couple minutes on your box. We're going to kick you off. What
3: have you got to say? Basically, what I'd like to say about leadership, there's no such thing as a natural leader. You hear people saying he or she is a natural leader. That's rubbish. Uh, they might show leadership qualities, but leadership is so much more than showing those qualities, and you have to work at it and for it. Being a leader is hard. Leadership is living your values, setting the example, showing up every day no matter what. That's a challenge, showing up every day. Being authentic and genuine, and then celebrating your team's success and not stealing their success. Your role is to guide and lead a team to success. And Another thing I'd like to mention about leadership, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader, you can be certainly be a leader within a team and often that creates a great team dynamic if you've got people providing leadership within a team. You need to focus on if you want to grow your team, you need to grow yourself as a leader and you need to work on it as I touched on at the start. It's a hard job being a leader. Most business owners get into business as a technician in their field because they're super good at what they do day to day. They don't get into business to lead Or run a business. And this is a challenge to your mindset and everything you know to become a great leader. And therefore, you need to surround yourself with people that can provide you guidance and experience in that leadership. And you really need to challenge your mindset to step up a notch and think about how you're going to lead a business, how you set that example, how the team is going to follow you through to the end goal. Because if you get stuck in that technician phase and you don't develop into a leader, then ultimately you don't have a successful team. You just have a number of members that some isn't adding up to more than the parts. And that's ultimately the role of a leader is to build a team where the sum adds up to more than the individual components that that the team's made up of. So guys, a great topic. It's a challenging position to be in as a leader, as we know, but super, a lot to expand on. So that's my take on leadership. Great
0: take. I think we're going to need to get Oscar music or something like that because <laughs> <laughs> towards the end there, Hugh held up his timer to me <laughs> just to show that you had run over two minutes. <laughs> I was actually holding it up to Ryan because he, oh, he can see my camera. You know,
1: course. yeah, yeah, he's connected
3: <laughs> by my computer. So,
1: yeah, but the Oscar no. music, no.
3: I'm not too sure why you try and time limit that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, exactly. You can't put genius in a box.
0: <laughs> we can
3: drive. On a box, but not in one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: All right, Hugh, what were your thoughts? Straight away, I agree with that concept. It's not a natural born leader. It's a developable skill. And exactly, you know, you went further in that point in the sense that a lot of people are a technical expert and then they've got to develop this new skill around becoming a leader to lead the team. So I think both of those things are absolutely true. And, and we get to that into the show about sharing some skills and, and people that we're talking about how they've developed those skills So straight on the money.
0: I got to say, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed, Ryan. I think it's incredibly agreeable what you said. <laughs> Normally you have some pretty contentious takes, but couldn't agree more with everything. I really like the point that managers aren't leaders. I think there is a separation
3: just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I couldn't be more controversial, but I think it's <laughs> just a, a super important part of being in a business owner or being in part of a team is providing that leadership and being that leader and growing, developing, it. because you've never reached the peak in when it comes to leadership. There's always more to learn, more to know, and more that you can give. So you've got to keep doing the work. Another point that I sort of
1: wrote down, building on on what you're saying, like, I know I took a different take from you, Connell, saying managers are leaders when, you know, you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. I, I sort of took that as, well, we're all leaders. You can lead in your role. Like if you're the subject matter expert, you can show leadership and help the team. So it's not specifically the title doesn't make you the leader and you've got all opportunities to lead. And I know a few shows back, you were reflecting on a moment when you witnessed an accident and you like, could have stood up and just helped and led and you sort of stayed back. So there's all of these micro opportunities to, to practice and develop that skill in and so you know. Coming back to the show, I think the point here is that most of us start off as a technical expert and we're experts in our field or you become experts in your field. And if you get very good at in your field, then the evolution is to have other people in that field work under you. So then you're an expert in your field and a leader. And some of the best leaders are not even necessarily experts in the field. They're just good at organising people and organising teams. So I think that's the challenge in the sense that you've got to view both of those things. Being a great technical expert doesn't always mean you're a great leader and being a great leader doesn't mean you're always a great technical expert. So they're not mutually exclusive, but they can work together, but not always.
0: I'm going to put you a bit on the spot, Ryan, and ask you a question personally. So for yourself in your own business as a leader, how do you feel you best develop? Like, do you think you need to make those mistakes as a leader to learn from them? Are there courses that you think you could take that would benefit you? What's helped you the most?
3: Look, ultimately, if you don't make the mistakes, you don't need to make mistakes to learn. So hopefully, you can learn without making mistakes. But certainly, you need to learn from your mistakes. Mm. In terms of developing as a leader, I work with a leadership coach in my business and for myself personally. Um, And there's multitudes of those those available. There's obviously some more generic training that you can do, Mm. but I I focus on someone who knows me intimately and knows how I work intimately, and then knows where my gaps are, and they help me identify what my gaps are. So I seek that guidance. And, mm. and try and learn from them and from other leaders. Yeah,
1: pretty tough job identifying the blind spots in bads. You know, <laughs> wouldn't be many. Oh you know, uh, well, thanks again, mate. Thanks for your time.
3: Yeah, no worries, guys. I've just got to duck down to Bretling and get a. I've got a watch on watch job on soon. So <laughs> I'll uh, chat with you next year. Okay. Enjoy, Ryan. Have a good day.
2: You're listening to Two Paths, One Journey.
0: They were definitely the Zen comments of someone who had cleaned bathrooms for a year, so (laughs) good to see Bads in prime position. Bads touched on it quite well throughout his segment. Scaling a business, starting a business, being in a business as a leader requires you to shift your, I guess, perspective and abilities as a leader. You need to evolve from doing everything yourself, being that one person team, and then being a manager of a team and of people. So we've talked about Bill Campbell a bit already. How does he teach? What does he teach that relates to this?
1: And I think that's a great segue and incorporating that into the show is that he was a man of action. He was a football coach. So that's why we've picked him and some of his plays or his learnings to share with the audience because as a man of action, hopefully our listeners can adopt these learnings and and apply them in their own business. So the way Bill went about things, he was a gruff football guy in Silicon Valley. He didn't fit and he was just genuinely authentic, and he cared about the people. But there was a pretty clear framework about how things fitted together, and we've sort of narrowed that into five steps for the show. So if you go through the five steps, and just to clarify too, those five steps, it's about being a leader, but when you lead people, it's about building a team. So we're going to use that language interchangeably, like how do you lead? How do you build a high-performing team? And These were the sort of five steps that we summarised around the way Bill went about things. So step number one, he built trust. (laughs) Trust is critical. Okay, so you've got to maintain and have the trust of your team and trust is the bedrock. Second thing, once you've got trust, you need healthy conflict. So you need people to be engaged. You need to get the opinions of the team. You need to make sure that everybody is engaged in getting the good results and saying what they think and coming to the best decision. After you've done those two things, you've got trust and you've got healthy conflict within your team. The next thing is commitment. So trust each other, you debate the issues, everybody has their say, but then you commit to what's going to happen. Fourth step, accountability. It's making sure who's doing what, bringing it back to the center and understanding that we're going to get this done and keeping the whole team accountable, keeping themselves accountable. And finally, results. Results. You've got to deliver results. And that's how any team's measured. That's how a leader's measured. It's these five sort of themes that Bill used and his learnings and plays that we're going to call for the the show, we're going to share with the audience.
0: So we're going to break those steps out, let's call them, those five steps. We're going to break them out and we're going to link them to different plays that Bill was quite well known for having. Is that essentially it? Yep. Words of wisdom. Perfect. <laughs> so kicking it off then, Builders Lead Trust. So like you said, trust is the foundation of teamwork. It's yep. your bedrock.
1: Builders Lead Trust. Best leaders build trust. <laughs> I think it's a better way of putting it.
0: I just thought you were trying to make a play on Bill. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just couldn't speak properly for uh, no, a moment. No, you caught my I mean, disease. I got to get my hearing checked. <laughs> <laughs> so what was one of Bill's plays that relates to trust?
1: Okay. So- how do you build trust? And one of his plays was start with trip reports. So at the start of any meeting or start of any opportunity, just not straight into business. Like, So take the time to build some rapport with the people in your team. And this is an interesting point
0: because I want to get your personal opinion on that. How do you feel about trip reports? Are they useful in your opinion and your experience?
1: I think I know where your question is coming from because (laughs) I'm just all business. (laughs) There's no small talk at the start. And I... I agree with it. It's a skill that I'm not very good at. I build rapport a different way. I absolutely do believe in trust, but building the rapport at the start of the meetings and is very, very important and a skill that I, I'm trying to work on. I agree with it, but I'm not very good at it.
0: Yes. And just to be clear, I'm not criticizing Hugh, but it is funny. If you've ever received an email from him, it's your name. <laughs> not hi, not good morning. It's... Connell, (laughs) you're to the point. And there's absolutely merit in that as well. What's another play Bill has? Okay, so
1: this is another thing about trust and it's full identity front and center. So people are most effective when they completely bring themselves and their full identity to
0: work. I don't necessarily love the language, but it's bring your true self. If you don't have to have a facade at work, you're going to be more open, more productive. Is that essentially it?
1: Well, I think it cuts both ways. So the individual on the team member to being themselves, they can be more authentic. And the second thing as a leader, like if you're more authentic as well, there's, you're more trustworthy. So it's it's a two-way street about building
0: trust. Another one of his plays that I'm aware of is that it's the people. So the top priority is the people. And that should be quite clear from this episode already, given what we've said so far. As a leader, you're a manager of people. And that's something that resonates quite a lot with me, because I think when you are a leader and you're a manager or a team member, you need to see the value of working with others instead of the cost. You can't do everything yourself. So use the people around you, invest in them so you get a better result.
1: That's exactly right. It's that journey from a technical expert to a leader of people and a conduit for the people to get things done. So to get other people to work for the good of the team or the good of the business, you've got to build that trust, but you've got to be about your people.
0: Yeah. Scope? No, no, no. I was going to say, what other... We're looking at each other because we've got a (laughs) list of plays here. So, so, well,
1: another one of his plays was to care about people, you have to care about the people. If you really want to know and build that trust, you ask about their outside lives, their families, you know. And when things get tough, you show up for them. Mm. And before... Absolutely agree. I'm not very good at building that rapport and the trip reports at the start of the meeting. But I do think the way that I do build trust is I ask about the people and I'm really interested in people and where they come from and their experiences and all of those other things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're always very interested in my weekends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not living vicariously <laughs> through them because they're pretty boring. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, You've got your old man. You don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you have to ask questions, but there must be more. I mean, Bill was known for his listening as well. So another one of his plays is to practice free form listening. So listening to people with full and undivided attention. And and that's such a good point. It's not to predict what they're going to say. It's to listen to what they do say and then respond. Because if you come with a prediction, so many issues can arise from having assumptions like that.
1: Yeah, you can see how it's all building this trust. Like, it's a pretty simple concept, but hopefully listening to the show, people can start stringing these together as objectives, like, you know, care about your people, practice active listening, find out about them as people outside of their work. Yeah, And Bill sort of summarized in the final play for this section, which is like building an envelope of trust. You know, listen intently, practice complete candor, be an evangelist for courage. So believe in your people more than they believe in themselves. So I think that really embodies the spirit of get your team
0: together on trust. Yeah. And this was a really interesting point for me in today's world. So how do you be candid When you can exist in such a sensitive society in some ways, you're kind of walking on eggshells in certain situations. So how do you do that? How do you build that trust if you can't do that? I think there's
1: two clear points here. Point one is trust takes time and you've got to be consistent and show up. So you need to build that trust so you can speak very candidly. But another one of his plays was only coach the coachable. So if you build the trust or you can't build the trust with somebody and you've got to walk on eggshells with them, are they coachable? Can you develop that person? Psychometric testings
0: might be able to figure that out for you. So if you're interested, look back at our episode. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) So we've built trust. Mm -hmm. Next thing, healthy conflict. I'm very interested in this one because conflict is something that people tend to shy away from. But Bill believed that having healthy conflict actually enhanced and improved culture and and performance. So what were some of his plays in relation to this? Straight away, one of
1: the big take-homes that I like is best idea, not consensus. Yeah. So... Politicians, it's about the consensus and nothing ever happens. But in a business, you've got to make decisions. So it's about coming to the best idea and not getting consensus, not getting groupthink.
0: So, a bit of an example is you can have a round table of people in a medieval sense, but the king sits on the throne behind it. It's the king's final decision. And as a leader, you take that kind of responsibility of making the final call. How do you, Hugh, as a leader, do that?
1: Well, one of my techniques, and I think this is also one of Bill's learnings, but as a leader, so you've got the trust and then then as a leader you, you believe in your people and you're promoting courage. So you're getting them to speak. You're getting them to share their ideas. But I think it's very important as a leader that you're probably the last to speak. So you don't influence the conversation yeah. and you let everybody give the opportunity to share their ideas. Yes. So I think that's really important. So being that courage, but speaking last, get everybody's ideas out of the table. And sometimes you just need to lead. You need to make the decision.
0: And you mentioned this a couple of times, courage. And I think you said earlier as well, be the evangelist <laughs> for courage. <laughs> what is that? What well, does that mean?
1: And I, I mentioned it earlier in one of the other shows when we're talking about our Jenny who does our socials and saying, well, be courageous. Tell me what you need to know. So really supporting that, which I've seen these plays for some time. So they've sort of permeated into the way that I operate. But make sure you're courageous. Make sure you give your team The permission to be brave, to take risks. The same sort of thing like another play is is the permission to be empathetic. So, okay, that's okay. So be
0: really supportive. I'm glad that you said that one because that means I get to close on probably one of my favorite of Bill's plays, but don't let the bitch sessions last. So he was a big believer in airing out the negative issues but not dwelling on them either. And I think that's where a lot of businesses and people and leaders can get caught up is that they spend so much time trying to fight these problems out instead of just putting it out on the table. If you can't move to it, citing it moving forward. Is that essentially what he meant? Yeah. And I agree
1: with that. And just sort of tighten the definition a little bit up from my perspective is people are afraid of conflict, but healthy conflict is good. Healthy conflict can only exist when there's trust, and healthy conflict requires you to to air some dirty laundry, to get the facts on the table, and it can be uncomfortable, and it's never nice. But the thing is, is once that's done, well, don't let the bitch session last. Get it out on the table, get talking about it, have that healthy discussion, but move on quickly.
0: You know, once it's been done. So we've built trust. We know how to have healthy conflict now. So the next point in Bill's kind of play step by step guide is to Foster commitment. So build commitment, foster commitment, and that requires clarity and buy-in. So people need to understand what they're actually committing to, and you need to have some sort of buy-in from the people. So what's your experience with? This?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, so buy-in does not require consensus. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about, there's, we're in a trusting environment, a psychologically safe environment. Everybody has really fought tooth and nail. They've had that healthy conflict. They've debated. They've debated. They've talked. They've changed. They've sort. But then. You need to have an idea and commit to the idea. And it doesn't matter where you stood, but as a team, you've got to back the team. You've got to buy in and commit.
0: Was there ever a time in Bill where that was challenged, where he had to deal with that?
1: Yeah, well, there's an interesting story where, again, he was leading these big companies and with very smart people. And he believed truly in this and a high level of trust. And they had a debate. And so one of these debates was around the budget that they were going to take forward to the board meeting. And anyway, they debated, a decision was made, a budget was put up, and then the CFO presented a different budget at the board meeting. He undermined the team.
0: What did Bill do? Bill sacked him. Oh, yeah, but doesn't that mean he was kind of taking a my way or the highway approach? And isn't that negative for leaders?
1: I don't think it was the my way or the highway, but it was just like, you're either on the team or you're not. Yeah. You've got to commit to the team. And this is part of some of these dynamics, which is really... Interesting around team, like you've got to subordinate your interests to the team. Yes. And you win as a team, you lose as a team. And I yeah. know it's risky using sports metaphors, but the best teams always win, not the star
0: individuals. Yeah. So really, what Bill was doing was showing his commitment to the team. He was showing that this person didn't actually support the team, they needed to go.
1: Absolutely. So, hmm. team first approach, like yeah. always team first. And That is really, really tricky, and you're going to have some people that aren't going to subordinate their interests to the team interests, team first always. And so safe through trust, Mm. debate it, but then you've got to commit. And sometimes it's the leader that's making the decision. You know, we're not talking kumbaya moment. It's like everybody gets in there, and then we commit. But once we commit, we're all on board.
0: One of the other learnings that I never knew had come from Bill until we were preparing for this show was what he calls don't stick it in their ear what he means by that is, and I'm going to summarize it myself, I'm going off calf, but <laughs> it's don't tell people how to act. It's offer them your experience, your stories to help guide their own decision making. And that was really applicable to me because in my own experience as a subordinate, and having leaders around me guide me, I was quite fortunate in that one of my previous roles, I'd fumbled a recruitment. We'd hired someone, wasn't the right fit, and it blew up in our face a bit. And I'd gotten a shitty email from a senior staff member at the company kind of just throwing me under the bus, just really putting me in a negative mood when I received it. So I went to another kind of senior manager and I just said, how do I respond to this? What do I do? And instead of writing a draft for me or saying, say this, do this, do that, they gave me their experience and they gave me their own personal stories as to how they've responded in the past. Not telling me it was a mistake or that it was right or wrong, but just letting me think about the outcome that they experienced from what they did. And that helped me understand how I wanted to react. So instead of acting a bit emotionally and responding and sending another shitty email and fighting it out over emails, I sat on it, I cooled off and I called and I called the person and I just hashed it out with them over the phone. It was a much better outcome. It was that healthy conflict almost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and learning through other people's experience, but getting experience how to commit back to the team and develop that way. And the final point in this section, which we've sort of this goes anywhere, but throughout as a leader, you need to lead. Sometimes, you know, you need to be a leader and and you need to pick for the team. That's the skill that's like when are the team going to get the decision themselves? When do I actually need to say, no, okay, enough debate, this is what we're doing. Yeah, but And that's part of it is like once that debate's closed and a decision is made, then you've got to commit. And back
0: to the story, if the CFO didn't commit, so Bill kicked him off the team. So we've gone through the first three steps and the fourth is accountability. So Bill Ford, or a lot of his teachings fall into that leaders must ensure accountability like he did with the CFO. The CFO walked back on what he had said. He held him accountable because accountability peer-to-peer provides the best results and leaders have to confront those difficult issues. What are some of his plays in relation to accountability?
1: I just might yeah, just yeah. give a little bit more detail on that topic in the sense that if you're talking leadership as a team-first approach where we're all serving the team, then that peer-to-peer means you're accountable to your peers, your teammates, as opposed to just accountable to the leader. So you're fostering accountability across the whole team, not just up towards the leader. And one of the things that he believed in, he believed in winning, but he was about winning right, making sure that you're doing it the right way, doing it in line with the company values, doing it in line with the company purpose, using integrity, all of those things, doing it the team way.
0: Good. And what else did he have to say?
1: Another... Thing around accountability was to make sure that they were working on the biggest problems. So another play was solve the biggest problems, identify the biggest problems, the elephant in the room, bring it front and center.
0: So this one is always of interest of me because I'm of the opinion that sometimes if you address small issues and you get those small wins, you have a snowball effect that just means you can solve bigger problems better, more quickly and more aligned with the people around you. What do you take on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good methodology, you know, having those small wins to build up momentum. But this is actually slightly different. It's a different take. It's like making sure you're talking about the real problem, you know, so the elephant in the room. Yes. So making sure that we've identified this is the actual problem.
0: So not pussyfooting around issues, you know, approaching it, facing it head on.
1: Yeah, and the same thing, like I'm sure that could resonate with our audience. You've sat in a meeting... Or you've been in a team and you're not actually talking about the real issue. It's brought up by somebody who, for some reason, doesn't engage, or you you just can't get to the root. You know, mm. for politics or personal reasons or whatever. But it's about talking about the most important things, the stuff that's going to take your business forward.
0: Yeah, interesting. And um, what's the last one for this section? Well, I think this is like
1: no gap between statement and fact. Making sure the truth is being told. Mm-hmm. I also think on that is is like keeping yourself accountable as a leader too, You know, making sure that you're keeping your team accountable, but your standards are high as well.
0: And it's funny that you say that because in one of my own roles, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So in, in one day, I attended two meetings with this very similar senior management team, but one difference. And in the first meeting, the different senior manager that was attending was late. And another manager chewed him out for it in front of everyone in the meeting. Then the second meeting for the day, that senior manager that chewed them out was late. And they got chewed out for it. But their reaction was very negative and saying, you know, that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing this in the meeting. And it was that hypocrisy for me. So uh, you can see that Bill's kind of onto something with that, I think.
1: (laughs) Well, absolutely. Like that accountability throughout and that consistency, like you've got to show up and you'll be judged at a higher standard. So it's really difficult. And we're not saying any of this is easy, but hopefully just that framework and some of these sayings is like build trust, ensure conflict, you know? commit to what we're going to do make sure you're accountable including yourself and hopefully well that leads to the fifth step is is like best leaders deliver results
0: yes perfect how does that happen what are results how do we get there
1: well as we we're saying like you get to the point where your team needs to deliver the results. You're no longer capable of delivering your results as your team starts to grow. So one of the things that Bill liked to work on was like work on first, lead on first principles. So making sure that you're re- really clear about the truths of the foundation, the truths and the foundation of the business and why you're doing things. like A bit like what we're spoken about, your core values and your purpose, but you're delivering results against those things and, and making sure that that front and center.
0: And as will be incredibly evident by this point for all the listeners, Bill was very much team first, (laughs) cared about people, and he put the team ahead of everything else. Because and this feeds into his actual play, team first. He felt that you couldn't get anything done without a team. So the most important thing to look for in a potential recruit was a team first attitude. But what I would challenge is just how do you actually do that? It's easy to say this is what we want, but how do you discover that in people?
1: I don't know, apart from being on the radar. But another great skill, I suppose, that you could see or another one of his plays was cheer for your people. Yeah. So cheer them on from the sidelines. Don't just sit there, show up, and cheer for them when they have success. The best example of that is is the star basketballer, you know, pick like Steph Curry who's who leads the team. Like when one of his teammates hit a shot and he's on the bench, he's up there
0: yes. okay. cheering
1: them on. So it's about the team win, which... Again, you see more clearly in sports, but it's having that sort of mindset and that atmosphere within your business. And Bill being the sports coach, you know, the original football coach, he brought that Crossover.
0: See, I didn't quite understand that point when you first kind of started, but I get it now. You know, it's, it's, you look for that in people where one person's win is everyone's win. So even if your colleague gets the win on, let's just say they closed a sale or something and they're going to get commission, you still celebrate that because it benefits the company. And you might not be able to see that before you have someone on your team, but it feeds into his other teaching as well coach the coachable. Can that person that's not cheering for their team members, can they become a team player or do you need to look for a new person? All right. Interesting. What's another one in relation to this?
1: I think this is a final to to sort of wrap it up. Like your title makes you a manager, but the team around you makes you the leader. So you need to be team first and the results that your team delivers is representation of how good a leader you are.
0: Perfect. That summarizes it nicely. So at the start, we talked a bit about what leadership we were talking about, but we actually weren't clear. What sort of leader was Bill?
1: Yeah, so if you're going to categorise his leadership, he was a servant leader, which you know a servant leader emphasises a team-first approach. And another servant leader that you may have heard of is Richard Branson. So Richard Branson goes, look after your staff, your staff will look after your customers, and your customers will look after your shareholders. I think that's the simplest sort of way to that embodies a servant leadership. Rather than the traditional hierarchy where it's a bottom up, you know, you you serve your manager, that manager serves their manager. It's a top down. It's like, look after the staff under you, make sure they're looking after their staff and all the way through. And then you get this cascading
0: effect until you get good results for your customers. Couldn't have summarized it better myself. (laughs) And I'm glad I didn't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, let's get straight into closing the loop then. We've got a corker for the listeners today. So stick around.
2: (laughs) Closing the loop. Any topics that needed further thought, we come back and close the loop.
0: So we had a listener question
1: and they said, love the Kodak story, but what about Fujifilm? Why did they do so well? I don't know, but this could be a great closing loop. So do you want to just give the listeners a refresher around what is the hedgehog strategy and and the Kodak story?
0: We spoke last week about Kodak and we spoke about them from the context of business strategy and specifically what hedgehog strategy they had adapted. So Hedgehog covers three different areas. So define your purpose. What are you deeply passionate about? Define your niche. What can you be the best in the world at? And define your profit drivers. What makes you money? So Kodak, their revenue declined 48% from 2000 to 2010, and they were bankrupt by 2012. What happened to Fuji?
1: This was the amazing thing. So off the back of the question, I, I did a bit of research because I didn't know their story at all. Fuji, in the same period, their revenues rose by 57%. Complete opposite one went down 48 and the other one went up 57% and it's like why the answer was amazing so they knew their profit drivers back to the hedgehog strategy what's your profit drivers they knew their profit drivers 60% of their sales were in films and they could see they were going in trouble so in 2004 when the film sales started to decline cuz these Businesses were at the peak of their powers in the late 90s, early 2000s, but by 2004, the writing was on the wall. So Fuji said, we're in trouble because they knew their profit driver and they came up with this new plan called the Vision 75, which was a reference to the 75th anniversary of Fuji Group. Firstly, they understood their profit drivers. The secondly was the niche. What could they be best at the world at? So they looked at everything that they did and they adapted into emerging markets such as pharmaceuticals, cosmetics and high-functioning materials. And you're like, well, doesn't make sense. That's like diversification. But see, the thing is, is in cosmetics, which is gelatinin-based, in filmmaking, there was the same chemicals. So they knew the chemicals for cosmetics from their filmmaking. They went into LCD panels because some of the technology for making film is used in these panels. So they looked at their core strengths and said, we can be the best at the world of that. We can be the best at the world of that. We can be the best in the world of that. So it was a clear strategy. And then finally, their purpose. What was their purpose? And I had a look at their purpose and straight out, best purpose I've ever seen.
0: You're a man that loves purpose. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Every time we spoke purpose, I've never been really clear, given a clear answer. And since that first episode, I've, I've got a really good definition of how to define your purpose. So what makes a good purpose? It should be three to seven words long. It should be written in simple language, big and bold. And it comes from the heart. It involves everybody and it's not about money and it's bigger than a goal. So think of those things. So that's how you define a good purpose. And what was Fuji's purpose? Never stop improving the future.
0: That is a purpose you'd love.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So so their purpose wasn't actually linked to filmmaking or the businesses they're in, which I think is a great purpose. And so you think about it, they knew their profit drivers. Once that fell away, they said, we need to do something different. They looked at what they were good at And they said, what can we be the best in the world knowing that we understand these technologies? And their purpose, well, it aligned. It's like never stop improving the future. So they just pivoted.
0: So in the three areas that Kodak stayed vague or unsure about, Fuji went home. They went to work, they went to ground, and they got clear. So that's really the big difference then. That's why Fuji succeeded where Kodak failed.
1: Absolutely. I think in all of those three areas, Fuji went bang, 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 where Kodak were a bit airy-fairy and weren't clear. And Profit Driver, they were making money out of film sales and those. But when that fell, it was just not enough urgency.
0: Well, that is a great closing the loop, (laughs) but it's not all we've got. We've talked a bit about the $500 giveaway we're doing. We've got a bit of an update, You Tell the listeners.
1: Yeah, so the Harrison assessment or the the $500, we're running that until June, July or the end of season one, which has got one more show. We'll announce that in the first show of season two.
0: We haven't got any feedback worthy of winning the award yet, so still plenty of space to be the first to come in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're just not going to give it away to if we don't get a good enough entry. But having said that, if we don't get a good enough entry, we're just going to give 500 bucks to charity. So opportunities out there for the listeners. If you've got some feedback for the show, send it in, and the money or the Harrison assessment is there to be had. (laughs)
0: Perfect.
2: This is 2P1J
0: good Show today on leadership, but our listeners have some pretty enjoyable episodes to look forward to in the coming weeks. Next time, it's culture, and then there's some bonus episodes to come as well. In the meantime, though, we encourage all of our listeners to get on our socials. Obviously, like we said, the $500 giveaway is still there, so you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook at 2p1j2pass1journey. Or if you want to send something to us directly, you have info at 2p1j.com. We also have our website, www.2p1j.com, and that's getting a bit of an upgrade too, so that'll be nice for listeners to see. If you feel we've inspired or educated you, the best way to help our show is by leaving a written review, which in turn will help other business owners find us so they can follow as we go down our two paths, one journey. All right, Hugh, wrap up leadership.
1: So in the eyes of Bill Campbell, what made him such a great leader? He cared for the people but he put the company first. He put the team first. So this is a bit of a paradox and it's a concept that shouldn't coexist, but that team first approach with caring for people. And the first step was trust is crucial. The best leaders build and maintain trust. It's the bedrock. He built trust by caring for the people and he was consistent. He showed up. Once you've got trust, healthy conflict. Great leaders don't stray away from conflict. They embrace it. It's a tool for innovation. It's a tool to get everybody on board. You want strong opinions. You want smart people. And you want those smart people engaged. You want people to have the courage to take risks. And this is how you get to the best ideas. And then commitment is the key. You trust everybody. You debate the ideas. But then you commit. You get behind the team. Best idea, not consensus. And sometimes as a leader, you've got to lead. It's not kumbaya. The team mightn't come to the right decision that's where you step in but once you're on board everybody must get on the bus final thing or the fourth step rather accountability matters leaders create a culture of accountability a bit like the example you said somebody chewing somebody out for turning up late to a meeting and then the next meeting they turned up late you've got to keep yourself self-accountable you to a higher standards but The other nuance there is accountability to their teammates. It's not accountability to the leader, it's accountability to the team, accountability to the cause. And finally, the results. You're based on your results and you'll get to a stage in your journey from that technician to a leader where you'll be measured by the results of your team and the best teams win. The individuals must subordinate their own goals to the goals of the team. That's it, hopefully.
0: That's it. Well, like we said earlier, listeners, next time you've got culture to look forward to. And thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Gil. Cheers, Gil.
2: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Two Paths, One Journey. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the show. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you really loved today's show, please leave us a five-star review. It helps other people discover the show and grow our community. We also want to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach us at 2P1J.com or send us an email at info at 2P1J.com. We read every message and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to 2P1J. We'll see you next time.